Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Scripture tells us, have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths, but train yourself in godliness. We train today through the use of God's word as recorded in Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 17. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him? of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Please be seated. We come this evening to our final Lenten meditation. During the past month plus, we have looked at the paths of various individuals of our forefathers in our faith. The Holy Spirit chose to bring these people to Paul's mind as he wrote the letter to the Romans. Each person showed us a different aspect of the impact of Christ's atonement on our faith. But studying the Word of God means very little if we cannot apply that to our own lives. And that's what we seek to do this evening as we close out this series, is we take a look at ourselves. We seek to understand and see, even in Romans here, what God is speaking directly to us. So how do we stay on our path to the cross of Christ? Staying on the right path is difficult at times. I remember a story from when I was younger where I experienced this firsthand when I was on my first mountain bike trek. I remember the trip well when I was either 11 or 12 years old. It was right after my birthday. I had just received one of my gifts for my birthday, and that was a brand new mountain bike, and I was more than eager to use it. However, this trip wasn't some relaxed bike trip. It was actually biking on a mountain. As a young boy, I was ready for any challenge, but I wasn't really prepared. Most of the biking that I had done was in the driveway or on the sidewalk where it was smooth and easy to ride, where there weren't many obstacles. And mountain biking was a lot different. The path is never smooth, the route is never flat or straight, and the rider must be continually alert for any type of terrain. My inexperience, paired with my overconfidence, was a dangerous mix and one that led to a long 
and painful trip. In the end, I suppose I could blame my equipment. My bike was new, but it wasn't the top of the line. It didn't have all the features that are nice to have when mountain biking. It wasn't broken in, we might say. But at the end of the day, my failures were a result of my inexperience and my overconfidence. Try as I may, I could not blame my equipment. My main problem was my inexperience paired with my lack of respect for the challenge ahead of me. Sometimes when traveling paths like that, it's difficult, but it doesn't always have to be. As we learn this evening about staying on our path to the cross of Christ, we recognize that we'll also encounter difficult terrain, obstacles and rocks and problems that are a result of sin. Just like my biking experience, it's easy for us to blame our equipment, to blame the other things around us, to put at fault the other things that God has placed into our lives. As Christians, we know the word of the Lord well, and we hear his word regularly. And because of that, there's an ever-present temptation for us to think that we've got it all figured out. That if we encounter some sort of obstacle or problem in our lives, it must be somebody else's issue. It must be due to something outside of ourselves. When this kind of thinking plants into our faith, we stop challenging ourselves. We stop examining our hearts to reveal how sin can hide there. We stop doing the things that we've learned in this entire series kept our forefathers on the path of their faith. Coming back to the word, showing humility before God, being willing to repent and confess of our sins. We've seen these examples from the people that have gone before us. We can list the individuals that we've looked at in the Bible, but many more, even those that God has put into our lives that aren't in the Bible. But God's message to us is that he wants us to apply the word to our hearts. Paul speaks directly to you here in Romans chapter 10. If you call yourself a Christian, then these words are directed at you. Because Paul tells us in verses 9 to 10 what a Christian is. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what makes a Christian. Belief in Jesus and a confession of that faith in your life are the two components that go into being a child of God, a follower of Christ. And so we know that God is looking directly at us in these words. The background of Paul's thoughts in this chapter centers on his desire to reach those who are still caught in unbelief. In chapter 10 here, he speaks particularly of Israel. Paul says that many people in Israel have an eagerness to serve God, but not with truth, not according to knowledge. The Israelites had access to God in his word. They knew about him, especially from the very beginning of the Old Testament, but many people ended up rejecting Jesus. That knowledge that they had about God from his word was not based in truth and therefore did not serve their faith. Paul states that those who do not believe in Jesus, those who do not believe in truth with Jesus, seek to establish their own righteousness by their own works. Paul summarizes that truth in many ways in verse 4 
of this chapter where he says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What Paul's saying here is that Jesus and his work on the cross have put an end to that inner human inclination to achieve righteousness before God by our own works. The end of the law for righteousness is what Christ has accomplished. With Christ's fulfillment and atonement in view, we see that we are not saved by works, but we are saved by faith. And that's exactly where the Christian life begins. The righteousness of faith, or literally the righteousness that comes out of faith, does not try to mold Jesus into what we want him to be. As Paul puts it, faith does not try to bring Christ down from heaven or raise him up from the dead. We don't control Christ. We don't tell him what to do. That's not our place, and that's not the way that faith speaks. Instead, what faith does is it receives what Christ chose to do for us. Faith latches on what Christ had to do because there was no one else who could. He alone could bear the weight of sin and carry the banner of wrath that God the Father had over our rebellion and our transgression. Faith in Christ accepts this as truth without trying to change who he is in any way. And so the first thing that we see as we walk our own path to the cross is that God tells us it must be done faithfully. When we hear the word faithfully, we might think of what we need to do. How good am I before the light of God's law? How well have I lived as a Christian? How much have I measured up according to love and truth and wisdom? in the ways of God. It's hard not to think of being faithful and associate that with our own actions. But that's not what God means when he wants us to walk this path in faithfulness. Really what he wants us to see is that it means to be full of faith in our Savior. Without the gift of faith that connects us to Jesus and what he has accomplished for us, there's no reason for us to even talk about trying to be faithful in our own actions. It's what Jesus has done for us that fills up our cup. And when we stay in that faith, we're never going to travel somewhere that Christ has not already traveled before us in our place. To assist you in these tasks of walking your path faithfully, Paul now explains the importance of what we do once we come to faith in Christ. And that's what he refers to as our confession. Going back to that very first verse that you, Paul used to describe who a Christian is, he goes on to say, With the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The act of confessing what you believe has become a lost art in our world today, especially even in many Christian circles. Many Christians have given in to the false philosophy of the skeptics of the world that don't really want to believe that a truth exists from God. Because if a truth doesn't exist from God, then there's nothing really to confess. The whole 
point of confession is to be able to say something publicly that comes from outside of who you are. Not an opinion of your own heart, not a thought that you came up with on your own, but something that unites all people of different backgrounds and different situations. From a biblical perspective, the word confession literally means to speak the same word. And it's that word from God that we speak. It's that word that brought us to faith in our Savior Jesus that we now use our mouths to make confession with, and that's what unites the entire church of God. Paul delves right into our hearts and gives us an inside look at how the righteousness of faith operates in the life of an active Christian. It is with the heart that one believes, but with the mouth that one confesses. The heart that Paul's talking about here is not the organ in the body that pumps the blood, but Paul's referring to the metaphorical thought of the heart as the center of who we are as people. If that's the place that God might call our soul, the place that he gives us spiritual life where we have faith, then it's also from that place that our confession is made with our mouths. There we see that once faith is present in our heart or mind or soul, whatever you want to call it, God now uses that to be expressed in our own bodies. That could certainly be with our actions. That can even be with our thoughts. But one of the most important ways we express our faith is with our words. And that's where confession comes in. Confession is made with our mouths and comes forth as our own words that have meaning based on the words that God has given us from himself. Paul talked about this in other parts of the Bible as well, not just to the Romans. He talked to the Corinthians when he wrote, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Paul was also showing these Christians and us that a confession is not just about what you say, but it's also about the power that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. The power that Paul said in Romans chapter 1 last week is the power of the gospel of Christ crucified for sinners. A confession made without this power is really nothing more than words of a hypocrite. Because we can talk as big of a game as we want to as Christians. We can say all the things that we want. We can put on an outward look to the rest of the world that we have it all figured out for ourselves. But if our words and actions do not measure up with what Christ has accomplished for us, if they're not from the power of his gospel, then they're nothing more than hollow and worthless. So what is your confession of Christ? Well, as we think about that, let us approach it with humility. Because it would be a mistake for us to think or to assume that our confession is always in power and not just in talk. God's message to us is that we can't take the words that come by faith for granted. It's something that comes out of being challenged daily by his word and the law and the gospel as Paul emphasizes the preaching of that word. Simply repeating words that other Christians use or saying the same things that Christians have said before over and over again is not a true confession. A confession comes from a heart. A heart that has been changed by what Jesus has done for the sinner. In a world that is largely devoid of confession, what a lasting impression we can make as believers by stepping up and using our confession for Christ. 
we have the ability to use our faith-driven words not only to help us stay on the path of our faith, but also to help us show what makes Christ different to the rest of the world. That's precisely the thought that Paul leaves us at as we conclude our text. How does the message of salvation reach people? How does the righteousness that comes out of faith continue changing people's lives? Well, it must be shared from others to others. Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah to explain the beauty of having the privilege to share the words of God. He says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. God has given us the beautiful, peaceful, and enduring word to stay on the path toward the cross. That word gives us the righteousness of faith, That word keeps our hearts centered on our Savior Jesus that we may make a real confession out of an act of faith. And that word is the sum and substance of how we stay firmly grounded as a child of God. May the Lord keep us ever mindful and watchful in our faith and in our confession as we continue to travel our path toward his cross. Amen. Please rise. Thank you.